We're starting a new series this morning, and um, I do a lot of series in case you uh, didn't pick up on that. And we're doing a series called Her Strength, and I'm really excited about it. You might wonder how these series come about. So I thought I would just share with you a little bit about the process that I go through in, in coming up with these different series. Um, this is one of those things that YouTube uh, sermons cannot help you with is when a local pastor that is meeting and, and knowing his local congregation senses from the Spirit what should be taught. Now, I'm a big fan of YouTube. I'm a big fan of Andy Stanley. I watch his stuff all the time. Many other preachers, it's great. So it's not that it's bad, but one of the things that lacks is they're not preaching to you where you are in your life. Now, I will tell you that I'm not perfect at this, and I, and I, and I want to keep going. I want to keep um, uh, ministering to you in this way, but I'm, I need to be sensitive to the Spirit. So as I talk, and I think, and I pray, and I wonder about what um, um, should be taught, um, this is one of the things that I thought about. I started thinking about the pressure that you and I face in today's culture. We face a lot of pressure. We face a lot of, of, of eyes on us expecting us to be a certain way, whether it's family, friends, coworkers, even your local church like Grace Chapel. There's a lot of expectations. And, and the more I thought about that, the more I, um, I, I thought, you know, we need to talk about strength. We need to talk about what makes people strong. Um, another thing that I thought about was character analysis. Now, the Bible has this amazing ability uh, to teach us where we are now, even though it was written so many hundreds and even thousands of years ago. Um, the Bible is full of people that are just like you and I. They are flawed, they make mistakes, they don't trust God when they should, and, and they trust in themselves when they should be trusting God. And, and there's all these stories about people that, that trip and fall and pick themselves up and keep trusting God. And so you put all those things together, and I thought, man, we need to talk about strength. But I kept praying about it, and this is what I felt like God was saying to me. Women in particular in today's society are under a massive, a massive amount of pressure. And I mean that. Only the women of our culture are expected to maintain what people think about them when they are seen. You have to wear attractive clothes, but you can't wear too attractive clothes, right? You have to be incredibly attractive, but you can't be too attractive. You have to be shaped a certain way. You have to weigh a certain way. You have to have the complexity, a certain kind of com complexity about you. Society puts a ton of pressure on women. And, and I'm thinking about this because I have a daughter. I have a daughter that is being thrust into the world, and she's starting to wake up to the pressures that the world puts on her because of her gender. And that bothers me. <laughs> that bothers me a lot. And I'm just starting to wake up, and I'm talking to my wife about the kind of pressures that she feels as a, as a modern woman in today's society. And I thought, Lord, what do you have to say about the pressure that women feel? And even on a bigger scale, what do you have to say about the pressure that we all feel? I mean, we have a phrase for this, keeping up with the Joneses, right? You got to keep up with the Joneses. Facebook doesn't help with this. Facebook only shows the best of all the families and all the people. You know, he's going to put a horrible picture on Facebook about mom and dad falling asleep on the couch with drool on their shoulder because they're so exhausted they can't even get through a TV show and their kids are still screaming upstairs. That's a very specific example. I'm just saying. 
may or may not happen to you. <laughs> Nobody's putting that on Facebook. Oh, we put our vacations on Facebook, right? All the beautiful things we put on Facebook. And so we go to Facebook and we see what is expected of us. And the pressure builds. I mean, even just our TV commercials show us. I mean, if you watch a car commercial, how many things can you put on the top of a Subaru, right? How many kayaks and bikes and, and adventure gear? How many Subarus drive around never having any of that stuff on them, right? We see that in the commercials. Oh, look at what you could put on this car, and you could have this adventure and this amazing life, and you're just never tired, and you're never making mistakes, and it's all wonderful. This is what is sold to us. And this doubles down that pressure, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds. And if you really get to know the people around you, you start to see the cracks and the crumbling, and the pressure folds us in on ourselves. So I said, Jesus, what do you have to say about this? And he showed me a couple of women in the Old Testament that we're going to take a look at. Where did they get their strength? And I think it's going to be really, really interesting. So, I'm trying to hurry because I want to get you guys out of here on time. We're going to take a look at that story. It's in Joshua um, chapter 2. Um, as you're turning there, let me just say this. Um, as a, a, a pastor and a minister, I think there's a lot of expectation on me to be strong, to be a strong leader. And I can tell you that there's a lot of times that I stumble with this and I trip up and I fall at being strong. But I do see a pattern. I see a pattern. It's like a a three-point trifecta happening. Circumstances, faith, circumstances, faith, and um, I'm sorry, I forgot the third one. Strength. Circumstances, faith, and strength. Now, you might say, because the world puts this pressure on us, well, we just have to be strong all the time. But here's the way it goes down in my life. I will have something happen to me. Or I'll have something happen to a friend or a family member, and I'm reminded that I need strength. A difficult situation happens, and I'm reminded that I need strength. And I look inside myself, and I don't find any strength. <laughs> it's not there. And I feel inadequate, and I feel incapable, and everyone seems to be looking at me to come up with this strength. So you know what I do? Sometimes I do this way after the fact. Sometimes I do this during. I turn to the one place that I know gives strength. I turn to God. And sometimes God leads me out of it. Sometimes it seems like he lets me twist in the wind a little bit. But that's the, the trifecta of where strength comes from. And that's what we're going to see with this character that we're going to take a look at. So, Joshua chapter 2. This is a story. I don't want to call it a passage. In, in the New Testament, you have passages that are like these little short things. This is a story. Okay, so this is Joshua. And Joshua is a ruler in Israel, and it, God has commanded him to roll into the promised land and to take it by force, the promised land that has been offered to the Israelites. So we're going to pick the story up in chapter 2 of Joshua. And Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially that place called Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Isn't that an interesting place? There's a reason. Don't worry. Verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here at night to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men that came to you and enter your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. 
We'll just stop there for a minute. So you have this woman of ill repute. (laughs) She is not just a prostitute. She owns a house of prostitution, a woman of the night. And the number one place that foreign men come to in a city, especially in this time of of of, uh, this age, is, is, is prostitution. It's an ugly story. It's not very pretty. It's not very polished. But here's Rahab. She's lived a life that a prostitute would live. In fact, she owns a house of prostitutes. And so the king knows there are men, and they come from out of the city, and they go to Rahab's house, and he had heard that there were spies. So, of course, he went to Rahab, and he said, Rahab, um, there are spies among you. Do your patriotic duty. Do your civil duty. Um, Turn them in and, and, and support our cause. You see, Israel was starting to become a little famous of a country. People had heard stories about how they conquered other neighboring kingdoms. And it wasn't pretty for the kingdoms that opposed them. And so Jericho, the king of Jericho, and and even Rahab, and many people had heard about this, this group, this nation. So Rahab is presented with an opportunity, a very unique opportunity. Hardship is about to befall Jericho and Rahab and the king and everyone inside the city. There is, an, there is an army that is about to attack them. This is a difficult circumstance. This is difficult. And I can imagine Rahab going about her business. We don't have to get into the details. Going about her business, and the king sends her a message and says, I have an opportunity for you. Would you turn them in? But listen to what Rahab does. Verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes. The men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them and be quick, uh, quickly. You may catch them, catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gates were shut. Rahab, opportunity to be a civil servant, decides against it. And she, it's almost like she, she uh, creates an amazing story that is just almost impossible not to believe. The men were here because this is a house of ill repute. Men come here. The men were here, and they left. And I don't know who they were, and I don't know what they were doing, but they left, so, so go after them. By the way, you might want to go that direction for them. And, of course, the men take off and look for them. An interesting choice. Why would Rahab volunteer to be a traitor? Why would she do that? Verse 8, we find out. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord, notice how the Lord is spelled there. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Oh, that's the reason. (laughs) They had a reputation. In verse 10, she says, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. 
Listen to this. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Whoa. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Oh, that's why. That's why Rahab betrayed her people. She knew where the power came from. She knew where strength came from. She even confessed faith in the one that produces this strength. Now listen to what the boys say to her. Verse 14, our lives for your lives. The men answered her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house that she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath that you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Ah, oh, what an interesting story. This Rahab character is so fascinating. She's so complex in her, in her decision making. Now, Rahab trusts in a new God. You see, Jericho had their own religious order, and they worshiped their own gods, as, as, as all these nations did. And Rahab saw and heard the stories, and she trusted in Yahweh. She trusted in the Lord. And she realized that what was about to befall her, she could not control. She needed strength. She needed strength more than ever. And Rahab probably was someone who was used to seeing strength. She wasn't one who had strength. And I don't care what time period you live in, if you do what Rahab does, you are taken advantage of. You are misused. You are thrown aside when, when um, uh, the transaction is over. This is the life that Rahab lived. She didn't have strength. Even if she was wildly successful in her business, she did not have strength. She was weak. She saw what was coming over the hill, and she said, I can't, I can't survive this. My family isn't going to survive this. I need strength. And I can imagine Rahab looking inside herself going, where do I get this strength? What do I do? And one beautiful thought hit her. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord for your strength. Trust in the Lord for your strength. She recognized who the true God was. 
She recognized that she, what was about to happen, and she saw the opportunity that put her faith into action to save herself and her family. You know, the world tells men and women alike that our strength comes from within us. We get that every day of our life, and I believe especially the women. Rahab realized that her strength and her way of life was coming to an end. It was all over the news. The talk of the town was that this new nation was just rolling through the land, destroying people left and right because they had this God that would go before them and would protect them. In fact, they called him the God of gods. They called him the king of kings. They called him the ruler over heaven and of earth. Many people at the time would worship many gods. They worshiped one, and he was good enough because he cared for them. She saw this, and she'd heard the stories. And I can imagine her, her, her saying, I want that kind of strength. And in the door walks two spies. And she says, okay, it's go time. If I play my cards right, if I trust the right thing, if I dig down and I get the strength from this new God, I might be able to survive. She had faith in the one that provides strength. She had the guts to say, I don't have it. I don't have it all together. And I don't have the answers. And if I just sit here, I'll watch my own destruction come over the ridge. That was what was facing Rahab. But here's the interesting thing. Not only is it amazing that she would place her faith in a God that she has ne- she's only heard rumors about. She would place her faith in that God instead of the gods of her people. That blows my mind. But what's even more amazing is this. Listen to this passage. Fast forward a significant amount of time. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing to his church that, by the way, Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, gives his life to believe in his half-brother, Jesus, which is so fascinating. James says to his church in his book, James chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Let me put it into Rahab's context. Rahab had faith that God could save her. Rahab had faith that this new nation's God was the strength that she wanted. Would that faith alone save her? (laughs) Not from an Israelite sword, it wouldn't. I believe that faith would save her eternally. I believe when she placed her faith in God that he would save her eternally. But she wasn't just interested in eternal salvation. She was interested in physical salvation as well. So she puts her faith in this God. And James says, but faith without deeds, is it enough to save you? If you go to verse 25 of chapter 2, James also says, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Rahab had an option, had an opportunity to put her faith in Yahweh, and she did that. And she had another opportunity to put her money where her mouth was, to put her actions behind her faith, and she decided to do that. 
James accredited Rahab the prostitute with righteousness, not just because she believed, but because she acted. Here's Rahab's faith in a phrase, and she says it in chapter 2 of Joshua. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She confesses that He is the power source. And here's Rahab's faith in action. She deceives her own king, and she sends the guys in a different direction that they know they won't be looked for. She hangs a rope, a scarlet rope, out of her window to let them down. But her action doesn't stop there. That's that's the first step. And isn't faith like this? You take one step, and you look around, and there's another step, and another step to be taken. This is continued faith in action. This is discipline action. She has to hang that same scarlet rope out of her window on the day of destruction. She has to keep her family in the house. And she has to keep the spies and their objective a secret. And she doesn't just have to do that. She has to convince other people to do it. This is what was laid out for her. This was the challenge. She put her faith into action, and there was more action and more action available. And she did it. And the story goes on, the Jericho falls, and Rahab and her entire family survives. And just when you think this story couldn't get any cooler, in case you didn't know, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, God blesses Rahab. And he blesses her in ways that her brain could not even come up with. She just wanted to survive. She just wanted to not die Well, as it turns out, after Jericho fell and Israel took over the land, Rahab married. That's right, a prostitute. Met a special someone and got married. And she had a son. And her son's name was Boaz. Boaz married someone that we all know as Ruth. They had a son. And that was Obed. Obed had a son whose name was Jesse. And Jesse had a son named King David. Rahab, the prostitute, is the direct line of the greatest king that the nation of Israel and maybe the world has ever seen. You think that's a blessing? Fourteen generations later, through Rahab, the prostitute, Jesus, the Messiah of the world, comes through her line. That is faith in action. That is seeing the power of God and saying, I don't have it myself, but I want it. I don't have any strength myself, but whatever that God's get, I'm going to trust him. Rahab's wildest dreams came true. She lived. And then God blessed her and blessed her and blessed her beyond her wildest dreams. All she knew was where the strength comes from, and she acted on that, and she trusted that. Here's the takeaway today. Rahab's faith in God's mighty power yielded strength to take bold action. And in today's world, that's what I want for my daughter. I want her faith in God's power. I want her faith in God's mighty power to yield strength for her to take bold action. I want that for you. I want want that for you if you're a woman, and I want that for you if you're a man. I want that for us. And I want to see God's power roll through this church and into our community 
And I want to see God held high because of the action that you and I take. If you trust Jesus to be your personal Savior, he'll, he'll bless you and he'll take you into his fold and, he, and you will be with him in heaven. But here's the difference. I believe God blesses us now when we put our faith in action. And that blessing, we can't calculate. That blessing, we don't have the capacity to understand how big it will be. And you might be saying, well, I, I want that power, I want that strength, but I just don't see it in my life. I don't see the strength that Josh describes in my life. I've been trusting him for 30 years, and I don't see the strength. I feel as weak as I did before I trusted in Jesus. And that might be true. But let me just share with you a couple of large-scale perspectives of God's gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus saves and loves us. So listen to this. In the continent of Africa, 10% of the population in the 1900s was Christian, which is pretty amazing. 10%. Today, or in 2050, they're estimating 40% of the population of the continent of Africa will be Christian. I don't think I could have ever imagined that in my wildest dreams. That is God's power at work in a place that, that few of us have even been. Take the continent of Asia. In the last century, Christianity is growing at two times the rate of the population, which is astounding. In 2015, there was 350 million Christians. And by 2025, there will be 460 million believers. That is God's power. You can take other countries. In 1970, Nepal was 0.1% Christian. Today, it's 3.8%. In China, it was 1.1% in 1970. Today, it's 10.6%. Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, 0.3%. Now it's 4.6%. In Cambodia, it was 0.5%, and they've jumped to 3.5% or 3.6%. That's God's power at work. This is what happens when people put their faith in God and they take action with that faith. Rahab survived, but Rahab was blessed beyond her wildest dreams. And she didn't even know. She just trusted him to give her the strength to put her faith into action. So I want us to trust God today this week, this month, with our newfound strength. And I want us to put our faith in action. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we don't know how you bless. Lord, but we know that you call us to trust you. And we know that you ask us to put our faith in you into action. And God, I, I just want to say thank you that you recorded the story of Rahab, the kind of life that that woman had to live, and the freedom that you gave her is unimaginable. And then on top of that, you decided to use her line to bring about salvation for the world. Lord, thank you for giving us a story of your power. 
And I ask, God, that you would allow us, as we sit here this morning, to trust in your power. And that we would take step after step after step of putting our faith into action. You're powerful, Lord. And we want to see that power roll through this church and through this community and in the Capital District and on and on. God, you are capable and we know that. God, help us to put our faith to action. In your name, amen.